Welcome to the Big Self Podcast. I'm your host, Chad Prevost. And I'm your host, Shelly Prevost. We are the podcast for the Big Self School, and we offer classes, coaching, books, and media to help you live a more purposeful life. We could all use a little more of that in our lives. And today, to help us do just that, we have on as our special guest, Megan Holstein. When she was 15, Megan started a company making apps for autistic children called Pufferfish Software. She says that in all honesty, her primary motivation was to avoid getting a real job at Wendy's like the rest of her high school friends. She says, not once in the next five years did it occur to me that soliciting investment, hiring people, and running a profitable business was substantially harder than working at Wendy's. Soon thereafter, she says she learned that there were other people like her, people who would rather overwork themselves doing their own thing than to get a real job. She said, I learned we're called entrepreneurs. Megan wrote a book about her experiences as we discuss, and she learned there was a different vocation in front of her, that of a writer. And if like virtually all writers, she could just figure out how to make a living at it. Tom Kugler, who's the editor of the popular post-grad survival medium publication, says this about Megan. Megan wrote the top performing post of 2019 for his medium publication, and it received over 145,000 views and was one of only five articles to go over the 50,000 mark. She is an incredible content writer who always brings a new take on her in her articles. And in our conversation with Megan, we explore what makes her tick, how she does it, what advice she offers other writers, and perhaps most importantly, how do people develop the necessary mindsets and resiliency to deal with the current pandemic conditions that we live in day after day, week after week, month after month? Megan Holstein, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. We're so glad you he- you're here. Uh, we have uh, told our audience a little bit about you. So if you could just kind of share a little bit of your story, uh, what you're doing now, and tell us a little bit more about yourself. Well, that's a broad question. Um, it is a bit broad. <laughs> well, how did let's start with this. How did you get started as an entrepreneur at such a young age? I did not mean to become an entrepreneur. Um when I was in high school, I was a competitive golfer for really? seven or eight years growing up. Um, and then I ended up giving that up. Just, I was, I decided that's not, I was 15, you know, I decided that's not what I wanted anymore. I wanted to do something else. And I told my dad so. And he said, well, you can't just hang out all day playing video games. Uh, what, 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 you, what are you going to do with your time? You're going to get a job. And I was like, I'm not getting a job. Get off my case, dad. And he said, well, you have to do something. You can't just hang out all day. And I said, fine, I'll make an app, dad. <laughs> Take that. I love it. Why not, and, right? I know. Like, like, I, of all the things, like, let me just make an app. I mean, that, you, you make it sound a lot nicer than it was. My dad was running his own company at the time. And I saw he was working with freelancers. So I thought, hey, ah. to avoid to avoid a grueling job at McDonald's or Wendy's, like all my friends are getting, I'll make an app. So I went and I pretended to be my father with his permission on his freelancing account. And I hired freelancers for like, this, this was back in the bad old days of freelancing. So it was like $150. 
to make an app. And I, again, stole my dad's identity to put it on the app store. <laughs> <laughs> and, and back in the day, apps were hard to make, harder than they are now, right? Um, I would not agree. Oh. The, re- the reason being because the standards were I was making iPad apps and the iPad came out like six months previously. So the standards were just really low. I mean, just tremendously low. So the apps I made were not, they were not good at all. Honestly, they got the job done and they were better than the competition at the time. That's because there was no competition at the time. I ended up within a few years, uh, big businesses and hospitals had moved in on my market and they had, you know, the teams and the professionalism to make these really polished products. And I was just a college student still at that point. So I said, you know what, this isn't the business for me anymore. But that's why I was able to get started in the market at that time. So what was the app? I'm curious. I ended up making six or seven apps and they were all autism therapy oriented apps because I have two autistic brothers and I saw that my brothers were using, or the more disabled of my brothers at the time was using an iPad for his care. And there just, there, there weren't many apps available. My mm-hmm. dad was on the bleeding edge of tech at that time. So he thought, I'll get this iPad for him. It'll be amazing. But the software hadn't caught up yet. So I thought, I thought arrogantly as only a high schooler can, <laughs> I can do better than these adults. Right. And, and it led you with that, that chutzpah to uh, actually kind of aim pretty aspirationally high. I, I don't know how far you, you went to penetrate into that market, but, but you, you persisted long enough to learn a few things. And then you, 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 you um, got a deal for a first book to write about what you, you learned about. So um, what did you discover from that experience? Um, and, you know, tell us a little bit about the book. Well, I did not do the, I hesitate to call this traditional because I don't think it's the most effective. I didn't do the thing where I went out and pitched publishers and they got a publishing contract and then had this whole publishing process. I started making apps when I was 15 and people were just, people loved that. And then they asked, how can you, how can I make apps like you? And I said, well, I don't really make them. I hire freelancers. Then they said, oh my God, how can I hire freelancers? Then I got asked to copy all the time and I found myself repeating myself so much that I said, you know what, I'll write an ebook that's free. I'll just give it to people instead of a coffee meeting. They'll get a lot more out of it and then it'll save both our time. And then someone at the university that I was close to professionally introduced me as an author. And I thought, whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay. <laughs> I, if, if you're going to call me an author, I have to write a book. This is an ebook. It's 30,000 words. So I beefed it up. I added case studies and then I published it on Amazon. And also I, I tried to do the whole blogging marketing thing there for about six months, but I really wasn't into it. So I gave it up. And then the book just sat on Amazon for mm, like two or three years. And then my publisher, a press contacted me and said, Hey, can we, can we take this on to our catalog? And I was, I thought, sure, feel free. Wow, that is a wonderful way to back yourself into it. So, so um, let me ask you this, because I'm, um, you know, because I I had a hardware technology company, and not and you, you you other than your dad being in technology, you didn't grow up with that like an engineering kind of uh, interest. Am I right about that? Um. 
I mean, I was never that interested in writing software, but I did for a period of time prior to the app business, I would buy broken MacBooks and repair them and sell them again on eBay. And this was back before the days of the unibody construction, when you could actually take out a SATA drive and put it back in yourself without it being a major leap process. Um, so you do so have I, some interest in yeah. like... And I had video games I modded, um, you know, just to add little assets here or there. Mm-hmm. So I do understand hardware and software, but it never captured my interest the way I think it, the way it seems to for some people. Mm-hmm. To me, it was very much like I have a, I have a goal. I'm going to do as many annoying tech things as I need to achieve the goal. Then I'll wash my hands of the matter. Yeah. <laughs> and the goal was, I do not want to go work at Wendy's. <laughs> Yes, the goal was avoid Wendy's. Absolutely. (laughs) I love that. Well, so you learned through this writing process that you did have like a real interest in writing. So share that a little bit, like how you discovered that and then what that led you to. Well, I always had an interest in writing. Even when I was 12 years old, I was writing uh, fan fiction in the dead of the night. You know, I think most 12 year olds, they're staying up all night are on stock. I didn't have Facebook then, but you know, they're staying up all night, like on social media or Mm -hmm. doing something time wasting. And I was just fervently typing away, producing really bad fan fiction. But it wasn't until I wrote this book that it even occurred to me that, wow, people make money from doing this. And at the time, the only paradigm I knew was the blogging, like produce the blog and get them into your sales funnel, sell them on your book, sell them on your course. But still, that's making money from writing, and I thought that was great. Um, but then I decided that sales funnel wasn't – I didn't enjoy the process of building that sales funnel. And so I thought, oh, maybe writing is not for me. And I went back to startup consulting for a few years. But I, I just wasn't enjoying it, and I said, you know what? What I really want to do is write. I'm going to sit down, and I'm going to figure out how to make this work. Well, that, yeah. And, you know, you've, you've tried a lot of things and, um, in some ways we talked about you, you backed your, your way into it, but I know you, you write a lot about, you know, you advise people or you, you write about, you know, how they can know what they want to do. How would you recommend that people aim to get clarity just on what we want to do in the first place? I was thinking about this earlier today. Um, I think there's the standard advice people give, like, oh, sit down and think about what you're good at and think about what you love to do and think about what the world needs and think <laughs> right. about what you can be paid highly for. And, I mean, every everyone who's trying to figure out what they want to do spends time thinking about these issues. You don't need a professional to tell you that. So I, I hesitate. to. I don't want to give that advice. My recommendation would be much more hands-on. Like mm-hmm. it's, it's really hard to figure out what you want to do from day one. I think instead you should focus on what you don't want to do because if you don't know what you want to do yet, chances are your life is filled with all kinds of different stuff. Like you have a, but you maybe if you're in college, you have like clubs or activities, you're just in all these clubs or you're in all these different groups on social media, or you hang out with all these disparate groups of friends I think it is more worth your while to sit down and ask yourself, what don't I want? What, what activities or clubs feel like a drain? What hobbies do I keep telling myself I'm going to pick up, but I never really seem to want to? Um, what things do I keep saying I want to do in the future, but never actually 
make any progress toward. If you emotionally let go of, of frankly, these stories you're telling yourself about something you're going to do, if you let go of those stories, you can say, you can admit to yourself, oh, this is what I really, this is what I actually spend my time on. When I'm given time and money, this is what I do with it. And then you can start heading in that direction. Mm-hmm. I like that. I don't know. I don't know if I explained that yeah. as coherently as I could have. So let's let's dig into this for a minute because I'm really curious what you would say about resistance. Um, this idea of because I think about resistance a couple ways, and it's I always kind of have this conflict with it because resistance is is it you know kind of this wall that is is preventing you from telling yourself that story that's no longer working for you. So it's functional that way. It's like, okay, I'm resisting this. So maybe I need to listen to that and let go of whatever it is, whatever illusion I have that I can, that I want to do something and I don't ever do it. So let me just put that resistance down or is resistance and maybe it's both, but is resistance the way, you know, do we really look at resistance as, um, kind of more of a psychological barrier that we, it's almost the self-fulfilling prophecy that we create because we're afraid to move forward or because we're um, afraid to kind of confront the stories we tell ourselves. How do you think about resistance? I don't want to tell, I don't want to disparage anything that's worked for other people. But for me, this crashing through resistance uh, mindset, this, this like resistance is the way you must push through your resistance. That has never, ever, ever worked for me. A hundred percent of the time in my life, if I'm feeling a significant amount of resistance to something, it's because I probably shouldn't be doing that thing. Yeah. I, I, I've never had an alternate experience. Um, I get, again, I get that this is not the way it is for everyone, but what clued me into the fact that uh, big speaking engagements weren't for me. Uh, making apps wasn't for me. Was in part that I felt resistance to these activities. I don't really feel resistance to writing. The only time I feel a significant amount of resistance to writing is when I feel like I'm writing uh, because I have to make money. And that's so that's a clue to me like, oh, maybe this, this thing, this way I'm trying to write isn't good for me. What I do when I feel resistance is I sit down and I ask myself, what am I keying on here that I don't like? And I figure out what that is. And then maybe I change my strategy. Like I enjoy entrepreneurship, but I really wasn't enjoying it with apps. And it turns out that running software projects really just wasn't the thing for me long term. I like running my own writing business. And so I pivoted to writing. And now I'm now I don't feel this tremendous amount of resistance. And so when people ask me, what to do about resistance, I will say, sit down and really get clear with yourself on why you don't want to do this. Because once you figure out why, the solution, again, in my experience, tends to suggest itself. Yeah, I love that. So you're more of a literal, like, if I'm feeling resistance, let's get clarity on that. You're not like an obstacle is the way type of person. No, (laughs) I, because if you, let's say I sit down, I, and I, I tried to do it that way because all these lovely books are coming out about it and people are swearing by this philosophy. And I, I thought, okay, let's see if there's something let's give to it. Give it a try. <laughs> yeah. 
But every time I sit down to push through resistance, even if I get it done that day and I'm like, yeah, go me, I have to do it again the next day. I don't want to live my life that way. That seems like a tremendously difficult way to live. A lot of energy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, lots of energy. I, you know, for me, the um, I, I, I have to uh, come at it from a couple different angles and ask, ask myself why I'm resisting because I think the, the reason I'm resisting something is giving me a lot of information um, because sometimes it is fear. It's like I feel insufficient or if I actually do put forth effort and it sucks, then then I have to kind of confront that. So if I can get honest with myself, is that if that's where the resistance is coming from, then I usually kind of can work with it and through it. But you're right. Like there are some things, uh, Chad and I've just been talking about this, that I procrastinate and procrastinate and procrastinate. And I finally like, I have to be honest with myself. Like this is not a good use of my time. How can I delegate this? How can I eliminate this? Like what, what do I need to get rid of here? And that is so liberating. Oh my gosh. To finally be like, okay, I, this is not in my, the scope. Like I don't need to be doing this. Uh, You feel set free. Do what? I don't know about you, but I feel set free. once finally. Totally. Yes. Like, I mean, is the obstacle the way for me to learn how to manage a spreadsheet better? I just don't think so. I feel liberated when I don't have to. Yeah. We're screwed because neither (laughs) of us, that is not the way for either of us. Um, No, (laughs) but well, so this is interesting. So Megan, you also write about, you know, you, you talk about like goals. I mean, you write about a lot of things on, on medium and you've got quite a following and you write quote, a lot of people have a lot on their to-do list. They want to fix up the corner room, start a new painting hobby, learn to play the piano, teach themselves how to code, take some more classes, drop the extra few pounds and read more. Then I bet you, you know, they're probably really wanting to do this more when they're at home a lot more. Um, Let's see, you write productive people on the other hand, and this is what I like, do not have so many goals. I think it's an interesting thought. It sounds counterintuitive. You know, why are we able to do more by doing less? Well, something I've noticed about, especially people who see themselves as high performers is we tend to take on so many goals. Like we just say, I'm going to, I'm going to get in shape and I'm going to go to the gym every day and I'm going to climb Mount Kilimanjaro and I'm going to start a business and I'm going to write a book and I'm going to blow up my Instagram following and I'm going to become a minimalist and I'm going to clear out my entire closet and I'm going to develop healthy relationships and I'm going to start painting and I'm going to start clean eating and I'm going to try the keto diet. And I mean, on and on and on. And we we have a limited amount of time (laughs) in the day. All right. We're, we only have 24 hours. But there's a psychological cost when you pack in all these goals, because then in a calm moment, you think, oh, my God, all that this endless list of things that I have committed to do, I should be doing all of them. I should be doing any of them. Why can't I even seem to do one single thing in this list? Oh, my God, this is overwhelming. I'm really stressed. I need a glass of wine and to watch TV. So you end up not doing anything. Whereas if you have a really short list of things that you want to focus on, you say, I want to finish my book or I want to cook a healthy meal or go to the gym. And like, those are your options. It's really easy to pick one of them. And I use this in my own life. I have on my phone a widget that gives me a list of things I could do every day. Hmm. And it's like, 10, it's like 10 items long. It's meditate, write in my gratitude journal, get some writing done, exercise, go work on my camper van, which is a personal project I have, <laughs> read a book, 
or take a walk. Like, that's it. That's all the things on my list. There's obviously, there's variation inside of it. Like, exercise is usually go to the gym, but it could be go kayaking that day. But it's still just a handful of things. And I can see when I check them off, and I can see when I've checked them all off. And that way of living is so much more productive for me than the way I was living before I narrowed my focus, which is I there was I probably had 80 things on my to-do list for that day, on any given day, because I had all these, let's be honest here, I had all these delusions that I was going to do all this different stuff that I was never going to do. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, sometimes, well, go ahead, Shelley. You're, you're, you want no, to I, I did. I thought that Megan wasn't finished yet. No, that, I, that was, um, I'm finished at that point. Okay. Uh, so a couple years ago when I, uh, when Chad and I were originally thinking about big self, kind of this idea of what does that mean? It's a Zen Buddhist, uh, concept of kind of the higher self, Um, and I remember like we were talking and I was like big self, tiny moments, like the way that you get to your big self, which is kind of this, uh, ideal, I guess is, is the composite of all of these tiny moments that make that up. And so you write, you write about that also that, um, you know, unproductive people, they, they, they think these big accomplishments take these big commitments, like these kind of overarching, large goals. Um, but you talk a lot about, I don't know that you use the word micro steps, but that's the idea that, um, that we kind of have to think a little bit smaller to get to those big ideas. So talk a little bit about that and how you've seen that play out in your own life. Micro steps would be a good word for it. I just, I try to stay away from jargon because I find that one of the reasons people don't, people who are against self-help don't like it is because they hear self-help jargon and they think, oh, this is just a bunch of nonsense. So I try to make it more presentable by saying, you know, big accomplishments come from small steps. Like you said, if you want to, I mean, one of my, one of my goals in life is to become a master meditator or be really good at meditating. But how do you get really good at meditating? You meditate every day. So my to-do list doesn't say become the best meditator ever. It says meditate. And then I do that. And then if I've done it for that day, it's done and I can feel good about myself. Same with my gratitude journal or exercise habits or writing every day. Writing a book is something that seems very huge to most people. It just comes from writing a bit every day. Mm -hmm. Write a thousand words every day for two months and you will have a book. It's it's really deceptively simple. Mm -hmm. So I find that to cut out overwhelm, I look at the daily commitment not the larger goal. Again, I know that is not the way that is best for everyone. My boyfriend is someone who sets the huge goal. I'm going to quit smoking and then just does it out like suddenly out of nowhere. Those people amaze um, me. <laughs> I don't, yeah, I'm not it, wired that way. I don't think that it's necessarily a better way of being because something I've noticed is sure they could produce major accomplishments out of nowhere, but they can't do it every day. They, they have a limited amount per month if you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. So I think if you're someone who does not operate like that and you're like, why can't I seem to get my goals done? Focusing on a small step each day is a really effective way to just say, Hey, here's a really manageable amount of work. I'll do this and I'll worry about tomorrow, tomorrow. Yeah. 
Yes. I like that. I think that's a good, uh, it's a good word, especially for, you know, our community, which is the, you know, a lot of kind of high achievers who, uh, and they're, they're working parents, they're heading up companies or schools and hospitals, like they're doing so much so to, 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 you know, the giving themselves permission to lay some of that stuff down. Uh, and focus on the micro steps because we, yeah, we talk about that, those um, tiny moments a lot. So good well, word. It sounds like you also are talking, uh, you're really emphasizing that process over over the end goal, which I think is, a, it has been a trend recently. James Clear certainly makes that clear in Atomic Habits. <laughs> uh, do you like, so, but you are nevertheless really productive with, with your writing um, and you're saying you kind of aspire to this a thousand words a day. Uh, do you time box your writing? Um, when do you, when do you do your writing and, um, kind of like how long do you let that process take before you're like, I've, I'm good for the day. Okay. So, uh, I used a thousand words as an example because a lot of people find that kind of daily goal helpful. Mm -hmm. That is absolutely not what I do. Um, okay. So a lot of my productivity experiments come not from books, but from my own life because I, um, I have, I have some sensory issues that made it really hard for me to function in school and a typical workplace. Like I can't really hold a full-time job because of really, really odd things. Like I can't wear jeans for more than three hours without like wanting to cry my eyes out. Cause it feels like sandpaper. So I thought, you know, I have to get really clever about the way I, run my life. And so I don't have a fixed schedule for like when I'm going to write or how I'm going to write. I have these, I have these tidy little deliverables. Like I have publish a medium article is one of my daily deliverables for myself. And then I have this little checklist that I fill out, like that helps me write the story such as who is the story for? Uh, what do I want my reader to get out of the story? What is some research that supports my core point? And I, I just fill out all these little questions. And then once I'm done filling them out, I kind of stitch them together. And then I have an article. Hmm. It makes it really easy for me to just move through it step by step so that if I uh, like get overwhelmed or lose focus at any point in the process, I can get up and wander away and go eat a muffin and then come back to it. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, I, I think that way too. Um, it's funny because I've had some conversations with people who think kind of uh, list like that, like um, not a to-do list, but kind of real structured, um, manage the tasks. And then I've had a lot of people talk about time, like the, the you know, they have to kind of manage the time. So between, and you even talked about this, time boxing your, your own work, like I'm going to give myself 15 minutes or 30 minutes. Uh, yeah. but my brain works a lot, Megan, like how you're talking with giving myself kind of this checklist of, of tasks that need to get done. And then I love the idea of kind of cobbling that all together for your, your goal for the finished product. I think that's interesting. I've learned though, that I can't overwhelm myself with too many mm -hmm. checklists and like, well, I have a habits app. So there's the same things every single day. It's not it's not like these, it's not like getting things done where you have like the four quadrant tiered task yeah. system that you check in with. I did that probably all through, this really speaks to who I am as a person. I did that all through middle school, high school, and the first year of college. And I thought there was just so much, I eventually figured out there's too much overhead in the system. It stresses me out. Mm -hmm. 
I just have my simple little lists that I follow and I don't overwhelm myself. So I think that is a system that works for people who have, uh, the clinical term is a lack of executive function. It's like, it's, it's, it's uh, a difficulty basically bossing yourself around the ability to go eat when you're hungry is executive function. And sometimes I fail to make myself do even that basic task. And so having these really super small manageable little things I can do on my own schedule is what I need to function. Mm -hmm. Well, I can, I can see how, and what what I'm attracted to is, is, you know, one of this concept of um, minimalism, You, you are keeping things simple. That seems to be some of your practice and routine, you, you write about it a lot. Um, you know, and I think you have like several me- medium digital publications. One of them is Van Life. Um, but, but, you know, I don't know if this fits, fits in it, but tell us about this minimalism. How do you define it? And is it, is it sort of like this Marie Kondo's only keep what sparks joy? Or is it just a real, like, you know, keeping things just down to this simple um, kind of ethic and, you know, how does it, how do you feel like it makes you a better person? Um, there's, I think people who aren't minimalists hear the word minimalism and they think, oh, those white and gray rooms from Ikea, one single potted plant on the table, <laughs> three hard, uncomfortable chairs. There are some people who do that, but anyone I know who says I'm a minimalist, that's not what we're doing. Minim- it's, it's much more, you know, Marie Kondo's. Keep what sparks joy. Keep what actually matters. Keep what makes a difference in your life. Because the fact of the matter is, in America, uh, accumulation is a hobby. And so, as a result, we all have an alarming amount of things Mm -hmm. we don't need in our lives. And much like how having too many goals splits your focus psychologically, having too much stuff in your house splits your focus. I said I have this really tiny list of things that I make available to myself on any given day. My home reflects that. Like, my desk doesn't have all of these things piled up on it everywhere. It's just a white desk. I have, like, a succulent and a candle and my computer and some pencils on it. Because I don't really want to do anything else, so I don't want my desk to prevent... I don't want it to present to me the option. Or if I have my yoga mat and my meditation cushion sitting out, my mind sees those things, and even... If it's not conscious to me, you know, at the level of conscious reasoning, my mind says, oh, these are options for what I can do. Whereas if you have tons of things in your house laying out, you've got like, oh, the dishes are over there and I need to do the dishes and I need to sort these papers and I need to go through the sports equipment that's laying over there and I need to do this and this. And there's so many things. And it also makes it procedurally difficult to get on with your life. I can't meditate if there's no clean space for me to sit down and do this. I can't do yoga if there's no clean space for me to put out my mat. I can't even sit. I can't even do something like lay on the couch and read a book if I have to clear off the coffee table or somehow make space. So to me, it's just, it's about, again, simplifying the amount of options I have in my life to get things done. Well, how do people get you Christmas gifts then? (laughs) Um, they don't. My mom gets really mad at me and I tell her we'll just donate to charity. And she says, I'm not donating to charity. And I say, well, you can get me cash. I like money. I can be bought. And she says, but that's so, she says, that's so lame. I don't want to get you cash. And I'm like, oh, you can buy me uh, brake pads for my van. Yeah, there you go. Wow. Help so practical. This van. Um, Megan, I wanted to ask you about kind of your, your ideas around self-help. Um, 
So to me, that's a pretty loaded word and I actually don't love it, but I think a lot of people um, kind of have misconceptions about what that means. And uh, But you you do write a lot about, and I don't know if you'd consider yourself a self-help writer, but writing a lot about self-improvement. So how do you, you know, what's the goal? Is you're writing for people and wanting them to get something from your writing um, as, you know, helping them improve their lives. So how do you think about self-help um, and how does that come out through your writing and the goal that you have for your readers? I find self-help to be loaded more because it has accumulated so much negativity. Like it's got a negative reputation and I think mm-hmm. the self-help genre is trying to do too much. Like there's a lot of what I would consider philosophy in self-help. There's a lot of what I would consider religion and spirituality and self-help. There's a lot of what I would consider to be clinical psychology and self-help. And then there is just weird off the wall stuff thrown in there as well. And then there's the whole like romantic relationships, business relationships, platonic, Mm -hmm. that's all in there too. It's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. So I have ever so slowly been getting through um, Seneca's, letters to a stoic or letters from a stoic i can't remember which it is and something i've noticed is that it really just reads like self-help he's just saying order your life this way do this and you'll be better off but we we don't call that philosophy anymore we call that self-help philosophy is like you know a two-pronged analysis of didactic methods analyzing the the literal meaning it's it's not something we can read anymore so i really like some of the self-help that's available today. I really don't like other parts of it. I try to stay away from jargon or anything that is too quote self-helpy because I don't want to drive away people who are frustrated with perhaps other, other areas of this genre that have nothing to do with me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. My, um, big beef, I guess, with self-help is because I think it can be so, oh gosh, focused on, on the self, you know, for, you know, the end goal for me and everything I'm, I'm hoping to help people with is, is service to others. So using your gifts, using your talents, strengths, like figuring out how to bring those out into the world in a sustainable way. And so, you know, we talk a lot about service, um, over and above beyond self-help. And so like, and, I, and I'm constantly trying to struggle with that tension between those. Like, yes, you, you are giving of yourself in a more authentic, profound way if you know yourself, but, but you can't just start with an end with knowing yourself. There has to be some bigger purpose or bigger end game. How do you think about that um, in your writing and in, in how you're going about helping people? Um, my whole, okay, this is a bit embarrassing to say on the air, but my whole angle has always been more of discovering a religious truth. Long before I was interested in self-help, uh, I was, a, like, when I was 10, 11, 12, my life goal was to become a theologian, like C.S. Lewis. I wanted to be this eminent mm. Christian theological thinker. I am not a Christian anymore, but I still am really, my core interest is in uh, religious truth, um, or spiritual truth. So everything that I do and read is to that end, Hmm. which is one of the things that interests me about self-help is there are so many split goals for readers of self-help. 
your you mentioned your goal is service and my goal is religious or spiritual exploration and then some other people's would just be quote like knowing themselves like am i an introvert am i an empath am i this that or the other thing so yeah that's where i'm coming from i was i was just listening to um I can't remember if it was a book or a podcast. I listen to all that stuff all the time, driving around. And it was, you know, the the author said that with self-help, we're starting in the wrong place. We're starting and ending with self. Like that is such a, a vapid place. If that's really the end goal here is just, I'm going to make my life better. And instead, let's look at, you know, to what end. And so figuring out what am I? Who am I? What, how do I, what is my purpose? Which is, you know, essentially what this whole, our whole business is about is helping people discover that. And I think that so many of our life experiences come back to us to refine the self. Like we're supposed to be learning something from them so that we can help people, we can serve them, we can uh, give to them in some way. And so, yeah, I think it's a, it's, it's just something I'm thinking about. And I, the, as I've seen your stuff on Medium and talking with you, uh, there's something in there that indicates to me that you're also kind of thinking through that as well. Like, what's the end goal here? The world has never been made worse by someone making themselves better. But I will confess that my interest has been mostly in improving my own life. Um, because I mentioned earlier that I, I don't do well in traditional academic and work environments. A lot of my energy in my life has been focused on just finding a way to live my life so that I can have a functional career and operate the same way other people do. I just haven't, mm-hmm. I haven't had, for whatever reason, I have not really been able to focus on service. I can't, there are, I still struggle to meet my own needs. I, I will say, though, I think that your pursuit of that, the byproduct is you are serving. I mean, look at the people that are are following you and are so passionate about your writing. Um, so maybe there's, you know, those have synced up. Maybe that's the purpose. Maybe that's when we finally fe- we found the Holy Grail. It's like, oh, okay, I am pursuing the life and building the life that I want. But as a byproduct of that, I'm really serving people with my talent. So... For what that's worth. I mean, I have noticed that, but I think the I said that the world is never made worse by someone making themselves better. I think the reverse is true as well. If you're if you are claiming to be serving people and you are becoming angry and burnt out, I'm not sure the world is going to be made that much better for it over the long run. Mm-hmm. If you're not serving people in a sustainable way that brings more health and joy and so on into the world then then I don't know, then you need to adjust course. So to me, the idea that my efforts at self-improvement would help others is a natural consequence because if they didn't help others, that would tell me that I'm not doing something I should be doing. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah. and I think a, a lot of people are struggling right now. Uh, it's not even about, you know, achieving gigantic goals. It's about trying to survive yeah. uh, with, you know, some of the mental health struggles, uh, the working from home. And, uh, you know, I think a lot of your message does speak to uh, what they're going through. It can help people in our community and, of course, in the larger uh, community. How can people reach out and, uh, 
um, how would you like them to find you and um, your material? I have a website. I have a contact page. It's really easy to fill out. When, what you put in that contact form goes directly to my email. Um, I respond to everything that isn't abject spam. All nice. right. Fantastic. And, and you have a Medium blog as well. I, I, a couple, do you have more than one? Um, okay. So the way Medium works is every writer is a profile. And then there's Medium, the big website. And then there are publications, which yes. are like little magazines inside Medium. So I write for probably 10 or 15 publications. And I have my profile on Medium. That is where if you go to my website and you click the link that says blog, it takes you to my medium profile. That's right. Yep. That's what I did. Yeah. And then it redirected me. So this has been super fun. You're a delight. I'm glad you think so. Yes. Uh, Yes. Thanks, Megan. Yeah. I love your ideas. Um, I cannot wait to read even more. I've, um, you know, just as we've been preparing for this, I've read a couple of your medium uh, articles and I'm a fan. Like I'm ready to dive back in. Well, that means a lot to me. I always reach the end of these things hoping like, oh man, I really hope I didn't just bore everyone to tears with No. No, lots of great stuff. Yeah, yeah. I really want people as they're in this process. You know, there's there's a lot of resilience that people, I think, are trying to figure out. Like, how do I just get through this and survive this? But I think there's a lot of people, too, that are using this um, pause of COVID-19 as as an opportunity to to do some self-reflection and some kind of, I don't know, like a life audit, if you will. So I think that they're going to find some really good nuggets in your, um, in your blogs. And so I hope people will visit your website and go reach out and find you. Thank you. I certainly hope that too. Thanks for tuning in to the Big Self Podcast. At the Big Self School, we know you want to connect with the world in a way that's meaningful and get rid of that feeling that life is just passing you by without you having anything to show for it. To do that, you need a community that supports you as you rediscover your purpose and resources to help you along the way. So we're creating books, we're building workshops, we have group coaching to help you rediscover your big self that we call inner circles and a healthy and whole community at Big Self School. So check out our two-hour virtual classes on how to build resiliency, how to discover what you really want, how to like yourself more, and how to find calm. I need that one. And many more at bigselfschool.com forward slash classes. We will see you on our next episode.